Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hello and welcome back to this Book of Mormon podcast. Now we are in chapter 3 of 3 Nephi, 3 Nephi chapter 3. So the Nephites and Lamanites are getting wicked. There's Gideon robbers all over the place. They're trying to wipe them out, but they're still fighting with each other. All right. Verse 1. Now it came to pass that in the 16th year of the coming of Christ, Laconius, the governor of the land, received an epistle from the leader and the governor of this band of robbers. And, the, and these were the words which were written, saying, Laconius, most noble and chief governor of the land. He doesn't really mean that. Behold, I write this epistle unto you, and do give unto you exceedingly great praise because of your firmness, and also the firmness of your people in maintaining that which ye suppose to be your right and liberty. Yea, ye do stand well as if ye were supported by the hand of a God in the defense of your liberty, and your property, and your country, or that which ye call ye do so ye do call so. And it seemeth a pity unto me, most noble Laconius, that ye should be so foolish and vain as to suppose that ye can stand against so many brave men who are at my command, who do now at this time stand in their arms and do await with great anxiety for the word, go down upon the Nephites and destroy them. And I, knowing of their unconquerable spirit, having proved them in the field of battle, and knowing of their everlasting hatred towards you because of the many wrongs which ye have done unto them, therefore, if they should come down against you, they should visit you with utter destruction. Therefore, I have written this epistle, sealing it with mine own hand, feeling for your welfare because of your firmness in that which ye believe to be right, and your noble spirit in the field of battle. Therefore I write unto you, desiring that ye would yield up unto this my people your cities, your lands, and your possessions, rather than that they should visit you with the sword, and that destruction should come upon you. Or in other words, yield yourselves up unto us, and unite with us, and become acquainted with our secret works, and become our brethren, that we may be like un that ye may be like unto us, not our slaves, but our brethren and partners of all our substance. Right. What could he have meant by the expression partners of all our substance except communal ownership of property? Gideonhi also accuses the Nephites of robbing his people of their rights in government. This is the identical appeal which the communists make to the laboring class today. They appeal to their selfishness and tell them they are exploited and robbed under the capitalistic system and are denied their rights of government. The communists propose the establishment of what they call the dictatorship of proletariat, where under the workers are supposed to own all the property and run the government. One can hardly imagine a greater deception than this, but it is the appeal made nonetheless. Gideonhi also speaks, I didn't say that very good, did I? I stuttered. Gideonhi also speaks of the everlasting hatred of his people for the Nephites. Lenin, the first communist dictator in Russia, and one of the chief theoreticians of communism had this to say, we must hate Hatred is the basis of communism. Children must be taught to hate their parents if they are not, if they are not communists. And that was uh, quoting 
quote by H. Verlin Anderson. Verse 8, And behold, I swear unto you, if ye will do this with an oath, ye shall not be destroyed. But if ye will not do this, I swear unto you with an oath, that on the morrow month I will command that my armies shall come down against you, and they shall not stay their hand, and shall spare not, but shall slay you, and shall let fall the sword upon you, even until ye shall become extinct. And behold, I am Gideonhai, the name means the Lord is my life, uh, didn't live up to his name very well. And I am the governor of this, the secret society of Gadianton, which society and the works thereof I know to be good, a lie. And they are of ancient date, and they have been handed down unto us. That's true. And I write, it, write this epistle unto you, Laconius, and I hope that ye will deliver up your lands and your possessions without the shedding of blood, that this my people may recover their rights in government who have dissented away from you because of your wickedness in retaining from them their rights of government. And except ye do this, I will avenge their wrongs. I am Gideonhai. I hope I added the right sarcasm to this letter because it's very uh, condescending and not very nice. Verse 11. Now it came to pass that when Laconius received this epistle, he was exceedingly astonished because of the boldness of Gideonhai demanding the possession of the land of the Nephites and also threatening the people and avenging the wrongs of those that had received no wrong, save it were they, were, they had wronged themselves by dissenting away unto those wicked and abominable robbers. Now behold, this Laconius, the governor, was a just man and could not be frightened by the demands and the threatenings of a robber. Therefore, he did not hearken to the epistle of Gideonhai, the governor of the robbers, but he did cause that his people should cry unto the Lord for strength against the time that the robbers should come down against them. Righteousness will end up defeating the robbers. Yea, he sent a proclamation among all the people that they should gather together their women and their children, their flocks and their herds, and all their substance, save it were their land, unto one place. Eventually the saints and those who, can, who choose righteousness will be required to gather together into Zion for defense from the wicked. Each of the stakes of Zion are those refuges today. Verse 14, And he caused that fortifications should be built round about them, and the strength thereof should be exceedingly great. And he caused that armies, both of the Nephites and of the Lamanites, or of all them who were numbered among the Nephites, should be placed as guards round about to watch them and to guard them from the robbers day and night. We must fortify ourselves against the onslaught of evil in our day. It's good to be watching day and night, to be vigilant, to always be on the on the alert against Satan. Verse 15, Yea, he said unto them, As the Lord liveth, except ye repent of all your iniquities, and cry unto the Lord, ye will in no wise be delivered out of the hands of those Gadianton robbers. Righteousness can secure for us deliverance from evil. And so great and marvelous were the words and prophecies of Laconius that they did cause fear to come upon all the people, and they did exert themselves in their might to do according to the words of Laconius. And it came to pass that Laconius did appoint chief captains over all the armies of the Nephites to command them at the time that the robbers should come down out of the wilderness against them. Church leaders help us by commanding us to repent and live righteously. Now the chiefest among all the chief captains and the great commander of all the armies of the Nephites was appointed, and his name was Gidgadoni. Now it was the custom among all the Nephites to appoint for their chief captains, save it were in their times of wickedness, someone that had the spirit of revelation and also prophecy. Therefore this Gidgadoni was a great prophet among them, as also was the chief judge. They're following the living prophet, and that'll be our safety today, is following the living prophet. Verse 20, Now this people said unto Gidgadoni, Pray unto the Lord, and let us go up upon the mountains and into the wilderness, that we may fall upon the robbers and destroy them in their own lands. But Gidgadoni said unto them, The Lord forbid, for if we should go up against them, the Lord would deliver us into their hands. 
Therefore, we will prepare ourselves in the center of our lands, and we will gather all our armies together, and we will not go against them, but we will wait till they shall come against us. Therefore, as the Lord liveth, if we do this, he will deliver them into our hands. Now, keep in mind that section 98 talks about the law of retribution, uh, which is where we don't, uh, we're, we're not on the offensive, but we are on the de defensive, and we can't have the Lord's blessing unless we do fight defensive wars. Christians enter war, they do not begin it, even when it came to taking the initiative in what would appear to be a noble cause, to go into the mountains and root out the secret combinations. The sensitive Gidgadoni declined the suggestion and explained that if they did this, his people would not enjoy the approbation and thus the strength of the Lord. That was by Millet McConkie. President George Q. Cannon said, We must proclaim peace, do all in our power to appease the wrath of our enemies, make any sacrifice that honorable people can to avert war, with all its horrors entailing as it does dreadful consequences so numerous that they cannot be mentioned. It is our duty, I say, as a nation. The influence of the Latter-day Saints should be used in this direction. We should seek to quell these feelings of anxiety to fight and to shed blood. Our influence should go forth like oil poured upon the troubled waters, quieting the waves of discontent and wrath that are aroused by this fearful spirit. Not only ought we to extend the offering of peace the first time to a nation that proclaims war against us, but again the second time, and if that should be rejected, again the third time, and if it be rejected the third time, then they should bring these testimonies before the Lord, go to the Lord, and say, here are our testimonies. We have offered peace the first time, we have offered it twice, we have offered it three times, but our offerings are rejected, and this nation is determined to have war with us. Now we bring these testimonies before thee, Lord. I do not look for our nation to do this. It is scarcely to be expected in the nature of things that they would do it, but it is the true principle, and we as a people should use our influence for this purpose. And that was, uh, that's using the section 98 that I mentioned as a, as a foundation for that brief discussion there that, uh, that George Q. Cannon uh, was giving here, uh, continuing his comments. But the promise of God is that if we will do right as a nation, if we will serve him, they shall not have power over us or be able to bring us into bondage, and in the end we shall prevail. This is a glorious promise which is made to the inhabitants of the land. To us, as Latter-day Saints, these principles are of the utmost importance. I do not want to see our young men get filled with the spirit of war and be eager for the conflict. God forbid that such a spirit should prevail in our land or that we should contribute in any manner to the propagation of a spirit of that kind. But one may say, is it not our duty to defend our country and our flag? Is it not our duty to ma maintain the institutions which the Lord has given us? Certainly it is, and it is no part of cowardice to take the plan that the Lord has pointed out. No man need be afraid that the Lord or any just man will look upon him as a coward. The principle behind this counsel apparently is related to the principle of repentance, as is indicated in this statement by President Joseph Fielding Smith. The law of forgiveness and retribution applies to individuals and to families, as well as to the church at large. We are under commandment to forgive our enemies and suffer their abuses in smiting the first time and second time, also the third time. This is to be done in patience and in humility and prayer, hoping that the enemy might repent. If the enemy come upon us the fourth time, we are justified in meeting out retribution. But even then, there is, a, there is to come a reward if we patiently endure, and the Lord will reward us abundantly. For all these abuses, we will be rewarded if we endure them in patience. Perchance the enemy may repent, and that he should most sincerely desire. This may in the most 
This may to the most ordinary human being be a hard law to follow, but nevertheless it is the word of the Lord. One of the best illustrations of this spirit of enduring wrong rather than retaliating is found in the story of the people of Ammon in the Book of Mormon. Because they refused to take up arms to defend themselves, but would rather lay down their lives than shed blood, even in their own defense, they brought many of their enemies to repentance into the kingdom of God. This is the doctrine of Jesus Christ as taught in the Sermon on the Mount. If all peoples would accept this doctrine, there could be no war, and all difficulties could be adjusted in righteousness. This doctrine was taught, so the Lord declared to his people anciently. There are many things in the Old Testament in relation to the wars and battles of the Israelites in the meager record which has come down to us, which are made to appear to us that these people were cruel and vengeful. But the Lord says they went out to battle when they were guided by prophets and the spirit of revelation when the Lord commanded them. And they probably had gone through this uh, principle of retribution before, uh, before they went to battle so that they could have the Lord uh, help them with the fight. And that was a quote by uh, Daniel Ludlow quoting Joseph Fielding Smith. Verse 22, And it came to pass in the seventeenth year, in the latter end of the year, the proclamation of Laconius was gone, had gone forth throughout all the, land, all the face of the land, and they had taken their horses and their chariots and their cattle and all their flocks and their herds and their grain and all their substance and did march forth by thousands and by tens of thousands until they had all gone forth to the place which had been appointed, that they should gather themselves together to defend themselves against their enemies. And the land which was appointed was the land of Zarahemla, and the land which was between the land of land Zarahemla and the land Bountiful, yea, to the line which was between the land Bountiful and the land Desolation. And there were a great many thousand people who were called Nephites who did gather themselves together in this land. Now Laconius did cause that they should gather themselves together in the land southward because of the great curse which was upon the land northward. And they did fortify themselves against their enemies, and they did dwell in one land and in one body. And they did fear the words which had been spoken by Laconius, insomuch that they did repent of all their sins, and they did put up their prayers unto the Lord their God, that he would deliver them in the time that their enemies should come down against them to battle. And they were exceedingly sorrowful because of their enemies, and Gidgadoni did cause that they should make weapons of war of every kind, and they should be strong with armor, and with shields, and with bucklers, after the manner of his instruction. And so now we have the, the Lamanites and the Nephites that are now called Nephites, going to defend themselves against the Gadiantans, and so they're preparing for the time when the Gadiantan robbers come among them. And so uh, this is, uh, again, similar maybe to what's going to happen prior to the Second Coming, that there might be some uh, civil wars and things that might happen in our day. I bear testimony that the Book of Mormon is written for us today, and I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time.